Many high school English anthologies include Ambrose Bierce's short story, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. If that's all you know of this Civil War veteran's writings, you've got some interesting listening ahead as we talk about Bierce's descriptions of combat on the Western Front with Michael Schaefer, author of Just What War Is, the Civil War Writings of DeForest and Bierce on Civil War Talk Radio. Hi, Tom Bodette from Motel 6 with a word for business travelers. Seems business has its own language these days, full of buzzwords like buzzword or net-net. And after a day spent whiteboarding a matrix of action items and deliverables, it's nice to know you can always outsource your accommodation needs to the nearest Motel 6. You'll get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price, net-net, of any national chain, plus data ports and free local calls in case you tabled your discussion and need to reconvene offline. So you can think of Motel 6 as your total business travel solution provider, vis-a-vis cost-effective lodging alternatives for Q1 through Q4, I think. Just call 1-800-4-MOTEL-6 or visit motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll maintain the lighting device in its current state of illumination for you. Motel 6 and a core hotel. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Michael W. Schaefer, author of Just What War Is, the Civil War Writings of DeForest and Bierce. In our last segment, we were just talking about Ambrose Bierce, uh, an officer in the Ninth Indiana who, after the war, goes on to become a major literary figure and later in the 19th century writes both nonfiction uh, pieces about his own experience and some extraordinary fictional short stories about this, that are set in the Civil War. Uh, Mike, I thought we might talk about some of those. Uh, everyone sooner or later comes across occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, and I thought we could just leave that aside because everybody's read it in high school. Yeah. But what about um, some of these other stories? Uh, one man, uh, one officer, one man, for example, uh, about the uh, the soldier who experiences his first battle and it's not what he expects. Yeah. The, uh, now that's an interesting case because it, even though. Bierce is a very different kind of writer, and, and as we were just talking about, even as a soldier, has a very different kind of temperament from DeForest, it seems. That story kind of confirms DeForest's point about people cracking if they go into war with illusions. I mean, this the, the protagonist of that story, one officer, one man, he is the, the, the situation is up to this point, several years into the war, he has been a... a headquarters officer behind the lines now he hasn't wanted to be that but that was you know that was the order he was given and i think beer says like a like a bad soldier he he disagreed but like a good soldier he obeyed but the situation is the men he's now been given a, a battlefield command and the men 
whom he whom he's leading seem to have, or at least his view is, they have this idea of him as this, you know, back-of-the-line soldier, and what is he doing here, and how dare he presume to, uh, you know, to command veterans. But, you know, he comes into it that, with that, but then when he first comes under fire, he feels very much afraid. And, of course, he has no experience, and Beers' implication is that the only, the only knowledge he has of war is from history and fiction, maybe bad history and fiction and so he you know he doesn't know that feeling afraid is normal and he it's you know the story is very much a study in isolation he comes to believe that the men are laughing at him for being afraid and he ends up committing suicide the 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 irony is there actually isn't a battle here there's just a kind of skirmish a few shots are exchanged one soldier is killed and this protagonist, Captain Graffenreid, kills himself, which is where the title of the story comes from, One Officer, One Man. That's the, the casualty uh, report for this one battle. I remember when I first read that thinking, uh, although that would be the actual language that the casualty report would in- include, there's normally an officer is, is uh, in, in a military sense, superior to uh, an enlisted man. But here, is it possible that Beers is suggesting uh, one man, one mensch, one uh, real man? Yeah, I think that's... And one officer, one office holder, uh, (laughs) a less than a man. Yeah, one kind of ironic reading, or a kind of ironic understanding of that title, absolutely. And and, and irony is uh, what Beers is is all about, the sort of military O. Henry. uh, Good way to put it, yeah. The, the way the stories and we've we've just spoiled the ending of that story for our listeners who haven't yet read it. <laughs> if we tell too many of these others, they won't want to read uh, read the rest, but they would be missing something. Um, well, isolation. Uh, you, you talk about that. Boy, there's so much about Beers. Beers is my individual favorite Civil War author. I have to say, I, I think his his work is. Uh, so so colorful in terms of capturing what what it must have seemed like to be there, but yeah, I, but, I agree. Let me try this on you. One reason I, I thought that is because his writing is very easy to relate to. As somebody first came across in late twentieth century, uh, as a, a person uh, like everybody listening today, uh, born and raised in the the age of irony, uh, after the when uh, when pretty much all literature is, is in some sort of ironic voice, when a sincere and straightforward statement is regarded uh, as obvious evidence of, of, of lying and duplicity, uh, everybody is ironic today, uh, maybe since World War I. Uh, yeah. Uh, Beers is one of the few voices of that era that speaks in what is a recognizably modern ironic tone to us. Is that why he resonates so well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a, a lot of people have said, think that Beers is the kind of, if not the literal, and, and maybe the literal, then the kind of intellectual uh, forefather to Ernest Hemingway in World War One, or or even, and I think this is a very apt comparison, Joseph Heller in World War Two. It's something like Catch Twenty Two. There, you know, there are a number of Beers's pieces that. That Joseph Heller could have written, I think, if he'd if he'd been living in the 1860s. 
Talk a bit about uh, Jupiter Doak, Brigadier General. Uh, yeah, the kind of you know the kind of the thing that Joseph Heller did in Catch Twenty Two about the you know the real war versus the war as it's presented in the press, where Jupiter Doak is this uh, politically appointed general. I, I don't know who Beers has in mind exactly. Some people have suggested John Logan, but of course Logan actually turned out to be a very good general. Uh, I think other people have said he drew partly from Joseph Hooker, though I, Hooker was not a political appointment, was he? That that I no, know of. No, I, I've never, I haven't thought about this in detail. But uh, Beer served in the Army of the Ohio, which I is the one army I've actually written uh, something in detail about. Mm-hmm. And at the level of the Brigadier General, there were quite a few appointees, uh, uh, political appointees, and. There were some who were certainly less competent than others. Uh, uh, Crittenden, Thomas Crittenden comes to mind. Uh, there were a lot of the McCook brothers and cousins. Some were better than others. Um, there, 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 were, there certainly could be many models at the, the brigade or division level, uh, not so well known maybe to the, the casual reader. But yeah. in the Army of the Ohio, there were plenty of role models for Peter <laughs> Doak. Good point. I mean, to, to, to finish the the whole thought, yes, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil the story, but Doak is somebody who, because of his political connections and also because of his connections with the press back in his hometown, is able to, uh, I get the word we would use today is spin his incompetence yes. and some good luck into an image of himself as a military genius. He's... Uh... Well, in 19th century political discourse, military uh, language was used. Uh, the political campaign uh, yeah, yeah. copied after the military campaign. And here's the inversion of that. Everything Doak writes is as though they're engaged in a political campaign against the Democrats instead of a military campaign against the Confederates. Yeah. I mean, you, if we're talking about irony, I think the statement comes up in that story that the pen is mightier than the sword. And as Beers is showing you, in Duke's in in Doke's case, that's absolutely true. He you know he loses battles with his sword, but then he manages to win them with his pen. But the way he describes the, uh, the the comparison with Joseph Heller is interesting because of course Heller uses those great names for his characters. Oh yeah, um, uh, you know, Colonel Corn and Major Major and so on. And Milo Minderbinder, yeah. And in uh, Jupiter Doak, uh, it, it consists of a series of letters from different fictional characters, and one is the Confederate General Gibeon Buxter. Yeah, Gibeon Buxter and uh, Dolliver Billows is the other. Dolliver, the other I, I can't general. read those. In there. Every time I read them on the page, I start laughing mm-hmm. like a sophomore. I mean, Gibeon Buxter is just a ridiculous name. It's sort of like Gideon Pillow, but and then the billows is the other general yeah these names they all they all reek of civil war nameage but they're not exactly right uh and 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 he just captures them uh, uh they're 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 great satire yeah they, that that's one of my favorite of Beers' stories and and i like all of Beers' civil war stuff the uh you you make the argument in your book, that DeForest has deliberately omits the the horror of war because he has a, a, a purpose to to show that 
to, to teach people to be ready to deal with war. And, and that, if he shows too much horror, that makes him look the coward people won't. Yeah, I, I guess we would say that he's afraid it's going to divert attention from what he's trying to show to to him. Now, in Bierce's writing, in contrast, where you've got these uh, stories with these these bizarre endings, uh, the the one officer, one man, where the officer kills himself, uh, a lot of coincidental stories where something turns out that that uh, you don't expect where soldiers put in a horrible position by by the caprice, the chance of war. Uh, nothing makes sense. Nothing is orderly or rational in Bierce's stories. What is he trying to show? Well, the the conclusion I came to, I mean, Bierce is is not a realist in that sense of wanting to to teach the public in in the same kind of way, though teach is too strong a word. I mean, the realists just want to give a faithful picture of life and let the reader draw conclusions, not overtly preach to the reader. But Bierce, in a way, I think he does want to, I think what he wants to show is that if you go into war with any expectations, they're they're not going to be met. You know, that it's going to be a completely, what's the word, surreal experience. And... Yet you can, at least some people do survive it. I think his his fiction and maybe in another way his autobiographical pieces argue that you're not going to survive it without damage, but that you will survive. And again, it, this is less overt than in DeForest, but by by focusing on the moment at hand, by do, simply doing what is expected of you you stand the best chance of surviving there's you know there are still all these as you're saying these blows of fate the this totally unpredictable and unforeseeable situation of war but if you just keep uh, as he puts it in in his autobiographical piece about chickamauga if you just march to the sound of the guns if you just remember what the soldier is supposed to do you you will have a chance at surviving so you, you must very much live in a very existential approach. Just live in this moment, and and deal with what was happening here. Yeah, there's a uh, I I put it in the book. There's a one of his essays. He wrote a, a number of essays about war, about his experience, and about war generally during the Spanish American War when he he was upset with what he saw as newspaper columnists who never got near the front. As he, you know, as he described it, uh, trying to describe war. But one thing that he says is, I keep, you know, seeing these guys who do get near the battle line. They go on and on about how cool these soldiers are under fire. They're they're so admir- admiring of that. And Beer says, you know, what what do these guys think soldiers are supposed to do? Are they supposed to run around screaming and going, oh no, oh my, oh my? He says, this is what it is to be a soldier: is to to keep your 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 composure and to keep your focus in an almost intolerable, well, in actually an intolerable situation. That brings us full circle then to the uh, the description of that that horribly wounded man at Shiloh. Um, I'm turning the pages again. Uh, Bierce responds to that 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 horrible. Um, a casualty with, with the, the head injury, not by running around screaming, as you 
suggest he says you don't do. Uh, I'll, I'll read what he writes here. Uh, I had not previously known one could get on, even in this unsatisfactory fashion, with so little brain. Describe the, the brain literally coming out of the yeah. head. And then finally he says, uh, one of my men, whom I knew for a womanish fellow, asked if he should put his bayonet through, uh, through the man. Uh, inexpressibly shocked by his cold-blooded proposal, I told him I thought not. It was unusual, and too many were looking. So there's coolness for you. There, there's uh, ironic detachment for you. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, for beers, that's what you feel. It, it's not... It's not pretty, it's not humane, but this is what it is. Well, we've seen then two different ways to deal with the horrors of war, and two authors who, who put those, put the Civil War on, on paper as well as anyone uh, I think has ever been able to do. Uh, Mike, we are out of time, unfortunately, uh, but I want to recommend to listeners who want to follow this up, the book is called Just What War Is, The Civil War Writings of DeForest and Beers by Michael W. Schaefer. Uh, I enjoyed reading it, and Mike, I certainly enjoyed talking to you today. And I enjoy talking to you. Uh, you've got a terrific show here. I really enjoy perusing your archives. Well, thank you. And listeners, thank you for listening. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio.